Time to lose weight. Does that sound okay? All right. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, how many football fans we got in the room? Are you waiting on the? <laughs> okay. Do Do you have recorders on your uh, on your on your televisions? Okay. I'm not going to take up a great deal of time. I couldn't believe it. Uh, uh, start off a series on uh, Super Bowl Sunday, but I guess that's okay. Well, uh, tonight is just kind of an overview. Uh, heaven and hell, the subjects of heaven and hell. Why in the world study heaven and hell? Uh, only because when you get down to it, it's the ultimate equalizer. Everyone in the room is going to one of those two places, one or the other. There are multiple intriguing nuances associated with that general topic of heaven and hell. But that's one thing about it. It's the most fundamental question. And I, and I will add this to that. You have a choice. Everyone has a choice as to where you're going. You can choose to accept the grace of God. Through Jesus Christ, he paid the price for us. And I don't say that. He experienced it on our behalf. Within a space of about three hours, he experienced an eternity of hell. I don't know how that's possible, but I don't know how it's possible that he did a lot of the things he did on that date. Very frequently, I and others uh, talk about the physical aspects of um, what our Lord went through uh, in his sacrifice for it, on the crucifixion. That compared to separation from his father was nothing, comparatively speaking. Horrific as it was. And that's one thing that the human mind has difficulty with in thinking about hell. We can't get a concept of eternity in heaven or hell. The human mind can't go there. And we certainly, we can, we can in some way understand objectively what it's like to have spikes driven through your wrists and feet where a lot of nerving, even, even a lawyer knows there's a lot of nerving in the feet. But what he went through enduring the separation from his father, we cannot possibly understand. We have never been holy. And this holy being for that brief time period has the sin of everyone who will accept him laid on him. And once we start to study hell, one, part of the, one of the things that makes of hell is that you have a recollection of your life. You can see the glory being, we'll refer to the rich man and Lazarus on more than one occasion, you can see the glory, the wonder that's being experienced by those who are in Abraham's bosom. 
So it's not all a negative. The, the, the downside to it is you're seeing what you're missing. And the fact is that you made the choice. And you dismissed it lightly. You said, well, you know, uh, you know I need to get around to that. I just got a few things I want to take care of first. In other words, I don't want to stop sinning right now. But eventually, before I die, you know, I'll, I'll get around to it. And I'm sure that they think they ultimately will, but sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. I cannot imagine the horror. You know, virtually anything we do wrong, we get some kind of do-over. You know, you, get, you, can, you can do it again. Whoops, I made a mistake. Well, I'll never make that mistake again. If you open your eyes in hell, you don't get any do-overs. And you've been warned about it, but there is no second chance. So, one of the reasons for the study is to answer, it's kind of a bucket of cold water in the face. It's, it's to make us go back and rethink the most fundamental question of why we're doing what we're doing. It's not going to change the choices of anybody in this room, but it may create a greater sense of urgency among the people in this room to tell others about Jesus. And it may be able to uh, give us a, a greater ability to explain the joy that's in us, give an account. Why are we so joyful? I can't sing well. There's an understatement for you. But if I have an appreciation of what Jesus saved me from, the horror that he saved me from, Hell is not just physical pain. It's the absence of God. It's the absence of everything that is good. Friendship. Love of family. Love of children. A nice morning. Things that even people that have no interest in Christianity whatsoever, things they benefit from on a daily basis are gone. Never to be again. And Jesus took that hit for us. He experienced hell itself. I think the Gethsemane would have killed most men. I think it would it, they would have had a stroke, an aneurysm, or whatever. I think Jesus was not only the bravest man that's ever lived... I think he was also one of the strongest, at least as far as his psyche goes. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. He spoke more about hell than all the other uh, writers of the Bible. Why? Because he does not want us going there. He does not want his children going there. Um... I've kind of struggled with this, but I'm going to do it. Um, Jesus uses language that is hard-hitting, gut-wrenching, blood-curdling in a way. And I thought, well, you know, I've got, we've got some kind of genteel people on this, in this Sunday night class. Maybe I ought to 
pull a punch or two. I did that when we studied the crucifixion because you know, people hadn't even had their first cup of coffee yet, and I didn't want to go the full explanation of what went on in the flogging and everything. But I'm not going to pull any punches where Jesus doesn't pull any punches. When he uses terms like Gehenna, fire that's not quenched, uh, the worm never dies. That's, that was the garbage dump outside the walls of Jerusalem. It was, it was, fires were always burning, and that garbage dump consisted of plain old garbage, bodies of animals, even the bodies of people that did not have a family to bury them. That's the kind of graphic things that I, that's just a little nutshell of what it is. And I'm not going to give you anything for sensationalism purposes. I've got it. Sinners in the hands of an angry God doesn't play anymore in our society. Jonathan Edwards, marvelously, it's a good sermon. Take you about two hours to deliver it. Good sermon. But people today, for the reasons I've already described, do not, they can't go there. It's kind of like saying, well, a stiff sentence will be a deterrence to crime. No, it won't, because nobody thinks they're going to get caught. It's not going to deter a criminal who doesn't feel that he's going to get caught. And if somebody's mind will not go there, they don't want to think about hell. No, I can't think. You entertain the thought for just a few minutes ago. No, I can't think about outer darkness. I can't think about excruciating pain. I have no concept of eternity. So, so they don't think about it. Um, and that is what you will encounter as, as, as when you're in the world. You, you'll, you'll have to be able to explain in some way that it makes sense to people that the, the urgency, you need to deal with this question because it's a choice. See, God has already paid the penalty for you. You don't have to. You don't have to pay that price. But I'm not going to pull any punches on whether to describe <clears throat> Gehenna or how it got to be Gehenna. We're going to go into that. That's just a general description of hell. We've also got an adversary that would love to see us join him in hell. His name is Lucifer or Satan. He goes by several names. I call him the adversary. He is a created being, originally created as the most beautiful angel. He was more beautiful than all the angels. And his fall. Think about it. I mean, I don't know how you manage. How in the world anyone thinks that, that Satan thought that they're going to have a revolt in heaven against God? But he did. He managed to persuade a third of the angels to revolt against God. Is he deceitful? Oh yeah. If you can persuade a third of the angels to go against the Lord God, you're deceitful. That was the reason for his fall, but it's also good to know that that's his makeup because that's his principle. One of his principle 
strategies against the church. Pride. You get down to the source of uh, any organization, but it's also true in the Lord's body. You call away everything else, at the heart of it is pride. What does pride lead to? Division. Division. That's two of the things that are guarded, uh, that have to be guarded against. Um, let me give you an example. I mean, in, in the, at the Last Supper, you know, Jesus had just gotten a hero's welcome into Jerusalem. He came in riding on a donkey, which was code to the Jewish people that said, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the Messiah. Always before it was, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. Now, he is announcing he is the Messiah. And Jerusalem is going crazy. I mean, there was an effect of an arrest warrant out for him. Everybody knew that the Sanhedrin wanted to get their hands on him. There was no arrest warrant because there's no legitimate charge. But everybody knew, and the buzz in, the, in Jerusalem was, do you think he'll show up? I don't know. He's raised that guy from the dead. How much of a threat would that be? How good a king would that be to follow if you wanted to oust the Romans? Our king, could, if I get cut down in the battlefield, our king can bring me back from the dead. It's kind of king I'll follow. Jesus ratchets up everything and he just keeps putting his thumb on it and making the Pharisees deal with him. That's one of the reasons I hate to see the... I used to enjoy it. I used to watch around Easter time. I used to like the uh, things that would come on about the crucifixion and the trial and everything. Then I figured out, that's not not right. You look at the credits. Some of the folks are Gnostics. They want to make Jesus a regular, just a man. Uh, Or they're non-Messianic Jews that never became a Christian. They're trying to discredit. And behind it all is Satan trying to, he's a bad loser. He's trying to discredit the fact that he lost at the cross. He bruised Jesus' heel, but Jesus broke his head. And Satan now is just floundering around like a snake that he is in the death throes. That's what he's doing. Pride. The disciples opened the door when they were arguing. After the heroes welcomed, it'd be like our elders sitting around going, Larry Todd's going, well, you know, I'm, I'm qualified. I'm a CPA. I'm qualified to be secretary of the treasurer. You know, I don't think Paul, uh, Paul Shirley ought to get it, you know. So, therefore, Ted Knight, why don't you, uh, you go with me and, and uh, help me to lobby against division, lobby against Paul, because I want to be secretary of treasurer. And if you do, I'll support, uh, or, uh, and I'm trying to get somebody to go for me for chief justice. And Michael says, well, you know, Ted's been a judge, Barry. Yeah, but that's true. But if you vote for me, if you, you support me in my quest to be, I'll do this. For... That was what was coming next because they were arguing among themselves as to who would be the greatest in the kingdom. And that's where division comes from. Okay? What's the remedy? You see, when they came into the room at the Last Supper, they all conveniently went past that pitcher of water 
and, and the, 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 the jar of water and the pitcher and the towels that were laid out for the convenience of the guests. That's a slave's job or a servant's job. Probably they'd done it for each other before. But in this atmosphere, there, Peter's sitting there going, well, I'm not going to... I'm not going to you know, wash the Andrew's feet. I mean, that would make him more important than me. I'm not going to do that. And they're all kind of, that was kind of like the elephant in the room. They wouldn't talk about it. So after the dinner, Jesus gets up, takes off his tunic, ties a towel around his waist, and starts washing the feet of his own disciples. And they are all sitting there going, Okay, I've seen him do things I've not understood before, but Peter, can you figure out what he, No. John, you get no. Humility. The only counter to pride. And that's what Jesus did. That's the way he defeated pride and the, the, the cause of the division that Satan was trying Judas Satan Satan had entered Judas oh one other little tidbit Judas positioned himself to Jesus's left that's the, that's the position of honor and because of the way they reclined during the dinner he's a little over Jesus You've got this traitor. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to get him stirred up. Never underestimate the, the deception of the adversary. You give him an opening, and he'll go through it big time. And when he saw this contention among the disciples, it's all the opening he needed. And it could have gone downhill from there were it not for the fast action of Jesus who dealt with it with humility. It's almost like answering a, a harsh word with a soft word. But humility is what the Lord used. Humility is what is needed in the church. For churches that have had trouble, usually, again, you get down to it, it Pride is, is the source of it. In the study of heaven and hell, we're going to also hit on the, some of the uh, strategies that you can expect from the adversary. I mean, it's, it's nice to talk all about heaven, but if you had a football coach, I said, well, coach, what do you think about the game coming up on Saturday? Well, let me tell you about our offense. Man. And then what do you see our defense? Well, what about the other team, coach? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. That's depressing. Yeah, that, that's not going to fly. You've got to know who your adversary is. You've got to be able to anticipate what he's going to do before he does it. So that's part of the rationale for a, for a study. Another thing you've got to remember about Satan is God. He only, he, he, his power is limited to what God lets him do. Not everything bad that happens, happens as a result of Satan. But sometimes, as in the case of Job, God will permit Satan 
do something to us. Now, does that sound... Nobody would want to associate with us if everything went our way all the time. We wouldn't be worth shooting. I mean, it just, it just, we wouldn't. You've got to have adversity. And God allows adversity to occur up to a limit. And it basically burns off that dross, the imperfections we have. I've refined thee, but not with, but not with fire. He uses the difficulties of life. Don't blame God for treating you like a son. If he didn't care, he would... Okay? So when you understand these things, some bad things happen just because Satan put this in motion. And we'll talk about that too. Satan fell, and he didn't have to waste a lot of time before he went down and caused Adam and Eve to fall. And it was about two chapters later than everybody, their, their, their thoughts were on evil continually. That's part of what hell is like. The absence of God, evil just percolates and gets worse and worse. Can you imagine what it would be like after a million years or so? No restraining force whatsoever. So a proper understanding of the adversary, a proper understanding of how he'll approach us. We're going to think through things and deal with a number of subjects that society or, or people just kind of deal with lightly or treat lightly. One of the things I love about the Bible is the further you go. The, the deeper you go, the more the reason for the rule. The more there's a rationale. Life it may not be, be beating you up simply because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You may be being reproved and prepared for something that God has, has in mind for you. Totally different paradigm. Totally different outlook. So that's one, among the things that I expect to cover on that. One of the stories that will be repeating, Rich Man and Lazarus. We'll hit that time and time again, I'm sure. The rich man and Lazarus. Because we're going to bring out points that you may not have noticed about it before. You know, Lazarus... Or the rich man was never, there's no allegation by the Lord. And it's a true story, it's not a parable. Notice, Lazarus has a name, the rich man does not. Okay? Lord doesn't compliment him by naming him. There's no allegation, rich man, there's no allegation that's wrong to be rich. There's no allegation that he was uh, having wild parties. There's no allegation that he got his substance by illegitimate means. There's no allegation that he did anything wrong. What he did was not employ his resources in the service of somebody that he knew about. He knew who Lazarus' name was. He knew where he was. It would have, it would have taken nothing. 
It would, it would have been like a penny to you or I to just give. It would have meant all the difference in the world to Lazarus. What was missing? His, he didn't care. He had no concern. That's what was missing. That was his sin. That lack of empathy toward his fellow man is what sent him to hell. Did he change? No, he didn't change. You read it closely. He basically blames God. You know, if my brothers knew about all this, in other words, if I'd told, I, you know, I'd, I know this is really bad. If I'd just known, so it's your fault, God, that I'm here in hell. He hadn't learned anything. And Abraham was absolutely right when he said, Son, if your brothers came and, and that wouldn't make any difference. They've got the prophets. That's exactly what he was saying. This imagery involving hell, I'm not going to dwell on it. Like I say, I don't want to do anything sensational. But there's a... When it comes from the Prince of Peace, a bruised reed will he not break, okay? A smoking flax he will not quench. Jesus laid it on the line and described this to a culture that knew exactly what it was talking about. Here we are 2,000 years later, Western culture, culture, a little bit different. But it has it when you tell what's really going on, then it comes home. Then it makes sense. We're not going to dwell on the negatives. There's plenty of positives. Here's what I'm going to leave you with because this just blows you away. It does me anyway. Um, Isaiah 53, 11. As I said, Jesus in some uh, supernatural way experienced hell for us. Uh, Jesus wasn't cut any slack whatsoever in anything in this occasion that's why I think he got the full dose of hell for every one of us that accepts him and here's what he will say after his soul suffers many things he will see life and be satisfied my good servant will make many people right with God the New English Version says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall this righteous one, my, righteous one, my servant, mark many accused righteous, mark many accused righteous. And he shall bear accounted righteous, excuse me. Accounted righteous, he shall bear their iniquities. Basically, he's saying, put your name in there, fill in your name in the blank. And Jesus is saying, it was worth it. All the horror he endured was worth it for you and I. That's what he's saying. 
So when they do sing, I don't care if I can't carry a tune. I got reason to sing. If you are in any way subject to the invitation, would you come forward and uh, we'll be happy to attend your needs. We'll be happy to pray for you. If you'd like to accept Christ in baptism, we'll do that. Will you stand, please?